It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you'll not want to miss. So let's jump right in. Uh, this is a new year, and that means that it's an opportunity to take a look and have some difficult conversations. So let's uh, let's talk about something that I've been thinking about quite a bit. Male privilege. Male privilege isn't something that male leaders tend to talk a lot about because it's hard to face. But there are simple actions you can take to identify it, acknowledge it, and most importantly, use it to become a better leader. And that's why I'm joined by Ray Arata, who is an award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion leader and speaker, consultant, and trainer with some massive clients. But he's also written a book, Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. Ray, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's, it's good to be welcomed here this morning. Oh, it's great to have you. So what's your story? How did you get into this uh, line of work? The, uh, the, the quick down and dirty is 1999. I got the, the double whammy wake up call of uh, my wife and mother, my three children, not wanting to be married to me anymore. And uh, six weeks later, a business partner in the financial services industry uh, went to a rival firm in the middle of the night. Let's just call that a, a work betrayal, if you will. And that left me reeling without the tools to deal with two very difficult life situations. And my manager in the financial services industry called me out on some of my behavior, very similar to the way my wife did, and invited me to do a men's weekend. And I, you know, I said, what the bleep is this when he handed me the brochure? But he said, listen, you know, change my life. If you don't believe me, call my wife. So I, on trust, I went to this weekend. And by the way, there's a huge community in Chicago. Uh, the Mankind Project put on a weekend that had me, it gave me an opportunity in what I now would refer to as a, a, a rite of passage into healthy manhood to look at how the little boy in me was running the adult show. So that required, I had to look inside, examine my behaviors, examine my language and how it was impacting everybody else. Fast forward after thousands of hours leading these weekends, men's groups, coaching, uh, a diversity and inclusion consultant said, you have something corporate America needs to hear from you. The men need to hear from you. Go to a women's event first and just listen. That I did. And that's when everything hit me because my mom, Italian born, all the rights and privileges and opportunities went to her older brother, not her. My daughter was going to be graduating from Duke with a degree in computer science. And my wife, who was one of eight Italians and in a real estate for a company, uh, her brother ran, uh, ran the business. And so I'm like, somebody needs to do something. I guess that somebody is me. And I, since I know how to create a safe space for men, I had this idea of, of creating a conference called the Better Man Conference. So I reached out to a bunch of corporate folk and said, I've got this idea. I want to bring healthy masculinity into the leadership conversation. And boom, 150 people showed up. A lot of the large companies that we all know and use their products for. So that's the, probably the fastest I've ever <laughs> spoke to that story, but that's, that's what happened. 
Oh, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And that's quite a journey. And uh, I want to emphasize that we're having this conversation because as we, uh, as we talk in uh, early 2022, um, all workplaces, not just very large companies that I know, uh, Ray, you yeah. work closely with like Verizon, Toyota, Bloomberg, and so on, but frankly, small businesses too are facing this of how to create that, that environment. So we're going to, we're going to get into that, but uh, Ray, uh, I know you wrote this fantastic read called Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. Um, who did you write this book for and what do you hope to accomplish with it? So I wrote it for three distinct audiences after uh, I can't count how many times many men ask me, what do I do? So I wrote it for the men who want to put themselves on the path to be better allies, better partners, better leaders. I wrote it for the leaders and companies who are sitting in the question how do I engage men as part of my diversity, equity, inclusion efforts? And then finally, anybody else that doesn't identify as a man, women, minority folk uh, that want to support and be supported by these very same men. And so what I hope to accomplish was that I would, I would ingrain a behavior ch change endeavor inside all of these companies so that men would also feel included and instead of looking at privilege as a demonizing word, they'd see, they'd humanize it and they'd come to understand that it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them, but that they have a choice to do something for good. Absolutely. So I could go on, but that's the short version. Absolutely. And I don't want to share all of the secrets in this, in the book. Uh, but again, I'm chatting with Ray, Ray Arada, who is the founder of the Better Man Conference and the author of Showing Up. And what's that one takeaway, Ray, as, uh, as we have this conversation uh, airing in Chicago on Sunday night um, that you want uh, everybody to put in place in their workplaces, whether it is a small business, frankly, one of those large companies that we mentioned earlier. So I would say that um, because it's been the behavior of a few, the toxic masculinity guys, the ones we read in the newspaper, has put the spotlight on the majority of men. And if, if the men stand silent and they don't do anything, then we're just as complicit. So, so the, the ask, the invitation would be for as many men as possible to look at 2022 and ask yourself, how do you want to be experienced by those around you and, and pick a reason whether it's the personal case because you have a sister or a wife, a female colleague that you're a friend of, it's, it's good business, or you don't want to go the way of the dinosaur and sit in the back and hold your arms for, uh, keep your arms folded and go the way of the dinosaur and be extinct. Just find your reason and, and, and start. And my book is probably a really good place to do that because it meets all men where they are. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's great advice. And I hope that everybody takes, uh, takes the message to heart. So I know you have faced uh, obstacles in this work. Um, and uh, frankly, you are, you're fighting the fight and you're trying to make a message that should be as, uh, as inclusive and as, uh, as, as, as uh, adaptable as, uh, as possible. But I know that there have been some obstacles um, in this work. What are they and how have you overcome them? So there's been a couple obstacles. One has been because men, most men don't experience the pain and frustration and burden. It's an out of sight, out of mind thing. Everything's fine according to them. And so busting through that to get their attention to without them feeling like they're doing something wrong to, to join the movement. That's been one of the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles after you get through that, then men, a lot of men have a lot of fear about saying or doing the wrong thing, which is having me lately talk about my white male fragility, but trading that in for my white male ability. 
So it's like you and I both uh, identify, at least based how I see you on the video screen, is white. And um, we have advantages unearned that other people don't have. And when we come to appreciate that maybe the worst thing that'll happen is if we step onto the path of being an ally or we speak up, that some guy might make a crack or we might get kicked out of the boys club, our life's not threatened. So I really want to encourage, you know, as many men as possible to like take a breath, acknowledge the fear, but, but step into that. And then, and then lastly, timing, timing wasn't there. Now it is because right now we're in a perfect storm, COVID black lives matter times up me too. And women galvanizing in such a great way around their own movements, put the spotlight. So it's, the tide has turned as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Ray Arata, who is a award-winning diversity, inclusion, equity, and inclusion, DEI is the acronym, uh, leader and speaker, consultant and trainer with global clients um, from around the world. And he's uh, been recognized by many organizations, received many uh, awards and accolades, but uh, a very, very exciting, uh, his book, Showing Up How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. So Ray, as we come to the conclusion of our conversation, I want to leave the last minute to you uh, to explain your sort of, again, the big vision, which you've been talking about and being very, uh, very uh, upfront about some of the challenges that you face, but also how can people get in touch with you and your team and uh, pick up a copy of the book? Beautiful. So what I'll first say is, given that it, appears, it sounds like you focus on smaller companies, there's an opera, huge opportunity for smaller companies to uh, start from scratch and not have to deal with all the cultural sludge that exists in a lot of the organizations. So a lot of smaller businesses reach out to me and there's a lot of ways that they can become more educated and aware and, and bring some of these practices into inside their companies. So one way for them to get a hold of me or to get educated would be to go to bettermanconference.com and sign up for our newsletter because this year we're going to be doing two live hybrid events, meaning 250 to 300 people in the room plus streaming. And all of our events were virtual last year and part of the year before. So that's that's one way. In order for them to get the book for anybody, go to showingupbook.com. And we have a bonus that if you buy the book and you go through the process, you'll get a free virtual ticket to the conference. So we're making it really easy for anybody who wants to learn more and put themselves on the path of becoming an ally to do so. This work's never going to be done. It's never going to be done. And, and fortunately, you're continuing to uh, to spread the word and uh, share your own experiences, which we appreciate here on Get Down to Business. So again, Ray Arata, the, uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, showing up. Fantastic read. I encourage all of our listeners to uh, pick up a copy and Ray, stay in touch. I look forward to sharing your advice and expertise with our listeners. We've got to squeeze in a quick break. But when we return, more small business jobs and entrepreneurship on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm super excited to uh, to talk about something that is certainly very timely. Across the globe, we're facing mind-boggling, complex challenges, climate change, food insecurity, systemic racism, so many issues. But we're going to talk about climate change because the Pew Research Center study uh, recently showed that 72% of respondents fear that climate change will harm them in the future, yet a mere 46% ha- have any confidence in our efforts to reduce it. Here to join me is David Ehrlichman, who is the author of the book, Impact Networks, Create Connections, Spark Collaboration, and Catalyze Systemic uh, Change. David, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks. Great to be here. It's great to have you. So uh, I'd like to get to know the person behind the microphone. Uh, tell us how you got involved in this work and what inspired you to write this book. 
Sure. Yeah. Many years ago, 15 years or so, I I knew I wanted to work for a purpose uh, for impact in my career. And so I started to work in a nonprofit like many. Uh, and I was, uh, it was an incredible nonprofit doing wonderful work. Uh, but I recognized that it was really addressing the symptoms of a larger broken system. Uh, it was providing uh, men and women without shelter uh, with uh, culinary training and getting them jobs in the culinary industry. But again, working in this massive broken system. And so I started to get curious about how we could create impact uh, at a systemic level? How can we address the root causes of the issues that lead to homelessness and, and all the other things that we'll talk about today? Uh, and I started to uh, first work at Monder Institute and then focus my career on cross-sector collaborations. How can multiple organizations work together to address issues that are bigger than themselves? And that we need to work across sectors, we need to work across boundaries. And collaboration, you know, people know or think they know how to go about that, but uh, I think we often go about it all wrong. Maybe we'll, we'll dig into that. Absolutely. So I know uh, in your uh, in your daytime, uh, because I know you're probably writing books uh, late at night, but in the daytime, you're the co-founder and coordinator of Converge Network of System Strategists, designers, facilitators, educators, and evaluators committed to co-creating that word that you just said, that impact, that positive impact. Um, and you're doing some fantastic, fantastic work. So you say in your book that networks are all around us, and whether we're aware of them or not. Um, what can we learn from seeing and understanding the networks around us? And there are all kinds of networks. You know, networks are just webs of relationships that connect people or things. There are networks in our brains of neurons. There are networks uh, that make up the internet, the routers and cables. Uh, there are networks underneath our feet when we walk in a forest, the mycelium and the fungal networks that connect trees and plants together to share resources. We've all heard of social networks, the people we come in contact with and communicating online or in person. But what many people don't realize is that we can actually deliberately organize and sustain networks, not just for connection, but also for collective learning, collective action, and to connect social movements that have a huge impact across large fields. Wow. So you say that approaches that we've used to address simple and complicated issues are falling short when it comes to dealing with complex and chaotic issues. Uh, that's certainly uh, very true right now. What uh, And you continue, what, go, what got us here is not going to get us where we need to go. Can you explain that approach, especially as it relates to current events? Yeah, of course. I mean, people and organizations embark on collaborative efforts all the time. I think they know how to do that, but typically really frustrated by the, by the results. And two reasons in particular, often they're trying to structure the collaboration like they would a single organization, you know, as a hierarchy with some central authority guiding the work, with people fitting into specific roles to move it forward. And they try to plan it all out in advance, identifying specific and measurable outcomes for the effort before people have even had a chance to connect and start to have conversations, start to work together. This approach only works if we already know what needs to be done and how to do it. But the thing is, complex issues are experienced very differently by different people. People are affected by these issues in different ways. They'll see things really differently depending on where they stand. And so in our work together to address complex issues, these multifaceted, nonlinear issues, many that you mentioned earlier, we can't plan it all out in advance. Instead, we need to bring different actors, different organizations together to make sense of the issue collectively, to strengthen our ability to share information, to share resources, 
to coordinate our work, the things that are already happening, and then to collaborate together to, to affect the whole system in ways that no one group could on their own. And that's mm -hmm. really what it means to build a network for impact. Okay, so uh, let's dig in a little bit more into those words, impact networks. So you you talk about this uh, probably day and night, uh, impact networks, and how uh, I'm curious to understand, again, that true definition, you've sort of touched on this already, impact networks, what are they, and how are they different from other kinds of networks that probably our listeners are more uh, commonly associated with, like social networks, and, uh, and, and so teach us a little bit. Absolutely. Impact networks are networks that bring individuals and organizations together for learning and collaborative action on a shared purpose. So as you mentioned, there are social networks. Social networks are usually formed organically as we become in contact with different people. Social networks are all about connection, but impact networks start there, but then say we can actually layer on structures and processes and more deliberately organize the network to support not only connection, but also flow of communication, flow of information, flow of resources and learning. So one type of impact network are learning networks, networks that connect many people and organizations together to deliberately increase the flow of information and learning on a common issue. We can take that a step further say, we're not just interested in connection, and learning, but also action. How do we actually collaboratively take action together on things that are bigger than ourselves? For example, there's a network in California that's connecting the work of many other initiatives to uh, support local stewardship or local conservation efforts that connect them across a statewide level so that collectively, through the power of their uh, collective voice, they can change policy at a statewide level. That wouldn't be possible with a single organization. We could take that even a step further, not just networks for connection and learning and action, but also to create a larger social movement by connecting multiple different networks together. And that's what's called a movement network. There's different forms of impact networks, but it's all about creating connection, learning and action around a shared purpose. I'm chatting with the subject matter expert on impact networks. That's David Ehrlichman, who's the co-founder of Converge, and he's written the book, Impact Networks Create Connections, Spark Collaboration, and Catalyze Systemic Change, which is something I know every one of our listeners certainly are vigorously nodding their heads and saying, yes, we need that, regardless of how big or how small our organizations are. So, David, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, in all of our shows and with all of the opportunities that we have to talk with leaders like yourself, to talk uh, about an action item, something that our listeners can put into place in the week or month ahead. So, what does leadership look like in this context of navigating the unknown, which uh, it seems like everything is unknown right now? What critical skills do leaders need to need this age of complexity? What can they put in place in the week ahead? So what I would encourage people to do is to think about the, the work or the issue that you really care about. In most cases, organizational leaders will put their own organization, their own mission at the center of their focus. And that's totally understandable. But instead, try putting that mission, that purpose, the center of your focus, and start to think about all the other actors and stakeholders and community groups that also care about or touch on that issue in some way. And then the question is, what can you do to strengthen your connections with those different stakeholders to strengthen the flows of information between them? What might be possible together that you couldn't do alone? That is really the first step in embracing what we call a network mindset, recognizing the interconnectivity of our world. And then network leadership is really 
intentionally supporting our ability to create connection and learning and action. And that means starting to form relationships with folks. That means creating spaces where people can come together to have conversations they don't usually have with people they don't usually have them with. Embracing emergence, as you said, not trying to plan it all in, in advance, but instead starting with the relationships and the purpose and then building structures around that to support our ability to work together. That's where to start. I love it. I love it. And I know that on your website, converge.net, I know you you have a great blog. You've got some great information, but you also have a great book, as we've been mentioning, Impact Networks, Create Connections, Spark Collaboration, and Catalyze Systemic Change. That book is written by our guest, David Ehrlichman. So David, final word goes to you. How can people get in touch with you and your team and pick up a copy of this book? Absolutely. Well, do check out converge.net. We have lots of resources on there, lots of free resources that we give away through Creative Commons license. We also have network leadership trainings, uh, different formats. We have free webinars. We have three-hour workshops. We have an eight-session deeper dive training. There you can also find the book, Impact Networks, converge.net slash book. And in two weeks, we are going to be releasing a documentary short called Impact Network's 20-Minute Film. It'll be on our website as well. I encourage you to check that out. <laughs> Absolutely. For all those that uh, have trouble focusing with uh, the many, many uh, distractions around them, but uh, I know it's going to be a great short documentary. So be sure to get on Converge.net because I know all that information is going to be shared there on, on the social networks, which is one type of networks as we've learned about in this conversation. David Ehrlichman, thank you so much for joining us. We've got to squeeze in a quick break, some headlines, commercials. When we come back, more small business jobs and entrepreneurship on Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. It's a no-brainer that diversity makes for a stronger workforce. When companies embrace and value employees of different backgrounds into an inclusive workplace, they reap the rewards in creativity and innovation, strong company culture, improved employee performance, and so much more. We've been chatting a little bit about that so far on Get Down to Business. You're back on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're going to continue this conversation, but I wanted to take a moment and just share some of my own thoughts and my own tips. Diversity isn't the same as inclusivity. Think of inclusivity as the next step to successfully supporting a diverse workforce. It's all about creating an inclusive environment that welcomes and includes each employee. While inclusivity makes us feel good, inclusive workplace cultures offer far greater benefits than a warm and fuzzy feeling. So they're plain good business. It makes plain good business sense. Deloitte reports that inclusive workplaces are six times as likely to be innovative and have almost three times the cash flow per employee over non-inclusive workplace in a three-year period. So if you're ready to launch your inclusivity initiatives, I wanted to put together some 15 tips to help your employees flourish regardless of sex, race, gender, age, religious background, physical ability, sexual ordination, orientation. None of that matters. Get buy-in from the top. When it comes to creating and promoting an inclusive workplace, your biggest allies will be your leadership team. Prioritizing inclusivity as you, at your organization will be a challenge if the C-suite doesn't prioritize it as well. Educate your company's leaders about the importance of inclusivity. This includes offer, offering diversity and inclusivity training um, for perhaps the boss. And I know many of our listeners are small businesses. That means you've got to invest in that time. It means uh, creating a safe space for your leaders to ask awkward or embarrassing questions behind the curtain before leading inclusivity initiatives company-wide. Once leadership is comfortable and on board, there'll be fantastic resources for setting an authentic, inclusive tone for all. And integrate inclusivity into your core values. You should already make it a habit to revisit your company's core values periodically, especially during moments of major change like burn right now. If your core values don't already include a statement on inclusive culture, get the buy-in from leadership to draft and update and implement it. 
get the most bang for your buck, ask for suggestions, feedback from employees company-wide, especially if your leadership and HR teams collectively aren't very diverse. The additional perspectives may help fill in a blank you've missed and help you earn crucial top-to-bottom buy-in. Model inclusive language. As an HR professional, you can be a professional agent of change. And I know that many of our listeners are wearing multiple hats. You should walk the walk and frankly, talk the talk in all professional communications model uh, behavior that, uh, that, that, is imber- that is inclusive. And it, be careful that if you, uh, if you uh, inadvertently uh, have some harmful language, make sure you apologize correctly and do the work to make sure that you won't repeat that mistake. Encourage a culture of frequent check-ins. Uh, one-on-ones aren't just for providing in-the-moment feedback. They're also opportunities to build trust. And trust is key for open dialogue that allows employees to honestly express their needs or discuss challenges that they may experience in their workplace, particularly those of sensitive nature. Create safe spaces. Many companies have already done a wonderful job promoting non-binary inclusion by providing gender-neutral restrooms. If your organization has already created a safe space, consider it. Think, too, about others' needs for privacy and safe space at work, such as lactation rooms for new mothers, prayer or meditation spaces, quiet workplace for workers who may be distracted and overstimulated by open floor plans. Fully remote, this extends the workspace as well. Create digital uh, safe spaces by encouraging employees to to update their signature block um, and make sure that employees have time for prayer and other personal needs by blocking it out on the calendar. Honor introverts by making digital culture events optional. Fully understand the needs of everyone at the company, partner with managers to learn more about their teams. Employees may feel awkward advocating for themselves, and managers who have a closer eye on their report skills and needs can communicate those uh, as well. Create an inclusive workplace task force. And again, this ties into small companies too. If you create an environment where people can share, and by the way, the task force itself needs to be diverse, representing not only varying social demographics, but also the office location. Maybe if you've got people all over the world, uh, make sure it's, uh, it's representative of people wherever they might be working. And expand your company's holiday calendar. Little things mean a lot. And for minority groups, even small instances of representation can make a world of difference. That's why uh, it's important to look at uh, holidays like Hanukkah, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. Those are great. Um, there's a lot of um, Islamic holidays and, and for Hindus and for Buddhists and so on. While it's not possible to make every holiday a company-wide holiday, at least acknowledge them on the calendar to raise awareness and increase the sense of recognition and, and belonging for practitioners and reward everyone's behavior. We've talked about that a lot on this program. Not only does recognition drive employee engagement and boost morale, but singling out and rewarding specific behavior also signals your company's values. For the start of the next quarter, thoughtfully review your employees who have received public recognition in the past and for what. And if you do that repeatedly, everybody will get a message. There will be a signal that will be sent to your employees about the specific skills and talents that your company values. Create events and initiatives focused on inclusivity. When it comes to planning work events and initiatives that celebrating inclusion, the sky's the limit. So make sure you're recognizing uh, African-American Heritage Month. Make sure you're, you're acknowledging Pride Month and so on. This will help you to attract the best talent into your organization. Finally, finally, as we're coming to the conclusion of all of these great tips, hopefully you find this helpful. Get on my website, shalomkline.com and uh, share your feedback with me. Make sure your office is wheelchair accessible. To welcome all employees as well as visitors, make sure your office is wheelchair accessible. Make sure you're uh, creating all sorts of opportunities for conversation. And uh, make sure you're, again, providing a forum for introverts to shine. It's, uh, it's easy when, uh, when you're in 
a, uh, an office environment, everybody can come together. But on a Zoom environment, train managers to create space in meetings to your employees who might be more inclined to hang back or might feel anxious. Again, I want to hear your feedback on my website, shalomkline.com. And while you're on the web, be sure to check out our amazing sponsors, Tom and Rabali from healthplanchicago.com, healthplanchicago.com for all of your Affordable Care Act and health insurance needs. He certainly can help you out as we uh, kick off a brand new year. Uh, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website. Uh, and after a quick break, we'll continue our conversation talking more about the job search. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. It seems like everybody these days is talking about the great resignation because that's uh, that's in this red hot job market, a record shattering number of U.S. workers are quitting their jobs and uh, perhaps starting a new job search. Here to join me in a conversation uh, is the co-author of a brand new book, The Empowered Job Search, Build a New Mindset and Get a Great Job in an Unpredictable World. And indeed, it is an unpredictable world. And that's why I'm joined by Lauren Weinstein, who uh, has written this fantastic read with some great research, and more importantly, some great advice. Lauren, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's uh, it's such an important topic, especially as we talk in uh, mid-January. So everybody's pressing that reset button and setting their New Year's resolutions professionally, as well as personally, too, perhaps. So what uh, what brought you to write this book? And uh, then we'll get uh, into it, if that's OK with you. Sure. Um, well, my co-author and I just saw how many job seekers felt pain in the process and also felt lonely and isolated. And so we actually came together initially to design a career leadership program at a foundation where I was working at the time. And as we continue to talk about how important mindset is in the job search and how to make the job search easier, um, this book came to fruition. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And uh, I know that you know the job market was certainly uh, different even pre-COVID. But now, I guess my first question for you is, what are the unique opportunities and challenges that uh, this new environment can actually be of benefit to the folks in this job search? Yeah, well, in some ways, I feel like the job market is super hot in certain industries and marketplaces and in other sectors, you know, it's a little cold. <laughs> and so I think the question is, you know, how do you figure out what your unique value is to bring that to this job search and where is the opportunity? And so I think what I'm seeing is that some people are getting jobs so much faster than before, um, and they have multiple offers. And from a you know finding talent perspective, from you know small businesses or, or employers, it's um, you know there's a lot of people, a lot of applicants, and sorting through and getting clarity on who the right person is um, is both an opportunity and a challenge. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Lauren Weinstein, who has spent over a decade helping hundreds of people navigate their professional career paths and working with organizations to make them healthy and productive. It's a great read. It's called The Empowered Job Search. So, Lauren, you are an expert in this field. What's the most important thing that people get wrong about the job search? I think that people think that if they just press click and apply to jobs over and over again, that that is going to lead to an actual job. Um, I think so much of it is about doing the deeper work of knowing what your true value is and also managing your mindset. I think that's one of the biggest things that gets in the way of a successful job search is 
feeling depressed or sad, or I'm not good enough, or I can't believe this person got an interview over me, or I haven't heard back from anybody. Am I doing something wrong? So, so much of it is managing your own emotions around the job search. And the other part I would say is, is having that clarity of who you are and what you're uniquely bringing to the job. Absolutely. And um, as you said, mindset is so important uh, not to, uh, to, to get frustrated frustrated on, on what has been, but actually focus on your identity going forward. And I've shared this analogy many times on this program. Um, if I uh, blindfolded somebody and I handed them you know, a, a weapon and said, hit the target, there's basically no chance that they're going to hit the target. The same thing is true in the job search as well. You have to know exactly, exactly who you are. And perhaps more importantly, where you're going, what that, what that dream job is, perhaps is maybe more important than the resume itself. So why is your book different from other job search books? What, what's, what's inside the book? Give, give us a sneak peek. I don't want to share all the secrets because we'll, we'll link our listeners, obviously, to make sure they pick up a copy of this award-winning book, The Empowered Job Search. But why is your book better? I don't know if it would be better, but it's another perspective. I know there's a lot of great books out there. I think for us, mindset is a huge piece. We have a mindset for each chapter and we walk you through all the stages of the job search process. We're not just talking about you know, how you build that mindset, but giving you really practical tools as you do that. Um, and so we actually walk people through, you know, what's your optimal work rest cycle? Um, how does that fit with your ideal job? What's your unique value? And really defining the work that you want, and not just in terms of maybe the job function in the team, but also other nuance around your manager, you know, what's the blend of your coworkers and, and what's what kind of learning and growth opportunities do you have? So all the hot topics that I think are on people's minds, but walking you through a deliberate process of how to um, how to get that job. And I would add one more thing, which is, you know, we really talk about community building. Uh, I know you've done a lot of work around networking and building that community, uh, but I think reframing how you think about your relationships in the context of your job search is also really important and healthy for people is that you're not just selling yourself you know, and trying to get people to buy, but you're really building with intention and connection around shared interests and ideas. And I think that that feeling can help you kick, help carry you through the job search. Absolutely. I'm chatting with the co-author of the Empowered Job Search, Build a New Mindset in a Great Job in an Unpredictable World. It came out uh, just a couple of months ago and is so relevant right now as we step into a new year, a new environment, and so many people are going through this job search. So uh, before we go to break, Lauren, um, in 30 seconds or less, if you had one message for the employers out there, for the business community out there, for the organizations that I know you've worked with, what would that message be? Um, I would say take care take care of both your people who are currently working inside your organizations. And as you're thinking about, you know, your brand and how you're recruiting people, be kind in the process. It's, you know, there's, there's a way to approach hiring in, in a way that candidates feel respected and valued and get some, you know, helpful feedback along the way. And so I think it's easy when you're in a hurry, just to say, okay, we have to get these candidates. We're going to run this process. But then on the other side, just really making sure that you're um, knowing where, where each candidate is when possible, um, especially for those folks who've made it to you know, some final rounds and, and helping them build their careers and succeed, um, regardless of whether they're getting the job. Awesome. Well, that's great advice. And after the break, we are going to continue our conversation with Lauren Weinstein, the author of a fantastic read, which I encourage all of our listeners to pick up. Go on Amazon, The Empowered Job Search, build a new mindset and get a great job in an unpredictable world. A quick break. More with Lauren Weinstein when we return after this quick break.
everybody these days is talking about the great resignation. And that's the uh, that's the reset button that so many job seekers, so many employees, I should say, are uh, pressing on their professional career. And that means that everybody wants the Empowered Job Search. And good thing, I am joined by the co-author of the book with that same title, The Empowered Job Search, Lauren Weinstein. We've been chatting about some of the advice regarding mindset, some of the advice regarding staying focused, and some of the advice to employers as well. So uh, again, Lauren Weinstein, welcome back. Um, And uh, taking a step back as uh, we have this conversation in early 2022, what are you seeing in terms of trends and hot industries that you want everybody tuning into this program to be looking at uh, over the next 12 months? Yeah, well, I might be a bit biased because I work in the tech space, but I think certainly tech is a hot industry. Um, but I think if you look across across a lot of the different sectors and industries, I mean, there's I think about it as a consumer and where is the demand and how is it shifting? Um, and so I think in you know there's actually opportunity across lots of different sectors. It's just a matter of how, what skills you have and, and what skills you're developing and how you, and the work you have to do to translate that between new opportunities that exist that we might not even know what they are yet. Absolutely. No, that's, that's great. And it's okay to have a bias. That's okay. And if, frankly, I, I think that you're, you're onto something over here in terms of a hot industry. So Lauren, as we come to the conclusion of our conversation, I want to make sure everybody tuning in has that homework assignment, that New Year's resolution, something that they could put in place either in their job search, in their week ahead. What would you like to see everybody considering a career change um, do uh, before, we, before they tune in to get, to get down to business next Sunday? Yeah, well, I would say it's funny enough, it's not necessarily related to your job search, but one of the recommendations we have in the book is creating a a morning practice or an evening practice. And I think we also talk a lot about feelings and needs. And if you could just check in with yourself every day and say, what feelings do I have today? Am I happy? Am I sad? What what needs do I have? What met needs or unmet needs do I have? And what does that mean for me in terms of what I need to action on, right? Do I need to get a walk and just have some time outside? Do I need to talk to my partner? What's going to make me feel whole? And that actually carries over so well into how you're engaging with other people as you're building relationships and connecting and talking about your ideal work. Um, and so I think starting with yourself and knowing what you feel, what you need can help you really action on your job search. That's awesome. And I've certainly learned a lot from our conversation. I can't encourage our listeners strongly enough to pick up a copy of the book, Empowered Job Search. But Lauren, um, you've got a great website. You've got a lot of tips I know that you're posting and sharing. And uh, this hopefully is just the beginning of some additional work that you and your co-author, Kathy, are uh, working on together. So I want to leave uh, the last minute to you. How can people learn more about the book and get in touch with you and your team? Yeah, sure. I mean, we have a website, theempoweredjobsearch.com, and the book's on Amazon, and also now through Ingram Spark, uh, local bookstores. I just went to my local bookstore and uh, got a copy, which was really fun. Um, so yeah, it's, it's out there, and certainly you could follow myself and Kathy on LinkedIn. We do like to post a lot, both about job search and also about um, work, right, and succeeding and thriving in this work crazy work world we have right now, um, just trying to stay healthy and um, you know, maintain our well-being in these in these times right now. Absolutely. Well, I hope everybody is certainly doing that. And these are crazy times, but it's also a huge opportunity right now. And uh, if you take away one item from our conversation here, it's uh, definitely, again, stay focused, 
um, with that mindset and uh, and have a plan, strategize because it's not going to happen on its own. Um, but uh, one of the best things you can do is pick up a copy of the Empower Job Search. So thank you so much, Lauren Weinstein, for joining us on Get Down to Business. I look forward to having you back on real soon. And uh, that's a wrap for us here on the show, all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past eight plus years of shows with amazing leaders, some great advice. And be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share. That's the easiest way to ensure that other people find out some of the great advice that we've been sharing on this episode. And of course, check out our sponsors, Tom Marabali from healthplanchicago.com, healthplanchicago.com for all of your Affordable Care Act and health insurance needs. And again, my website, shalomkline.com. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer or wherever podcasts may be found.